Oh, that is some truth right there. You can, uh, you can snag a seat. Uh, we trust in a God that can do impossible things. So good. Uh, I'm Pat. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. And, and I want to start this morning's message a little different than normal. And, uh, and it requires a little bit of participation. And so if you would be so kind as to uh, raise your hand or make a little noise as I walk through a few things, but I'm curious if these are things that you know or you've used or have been an aspect of life in one form or another as you've, uh, as you've seen the years move on in technology. The first, the first is the beloved cassette tape. Anybody ever seen one of these? Oh yeah, the cassette tape. How about, let's go back a little farther. Anybody 8-track? Anybody 8-track? Oh, yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, sweet. So we have, a, we have a cassette here, which um, the iPod has, has kind of moved that one out. Uh, how about this thing? Anybody? A Rolodex. All right. This one, this is a collector's item. Apparently, this is a Disney theme. You see Mickey's little hands. But uh, in case you don't know how to use this, I just learned today, you would... Um, you would get contact info and put it on these cards and sort it by the letter. And what made it so cool was it was a circle. So you could store so many. It was amazing. And then, and then Outlook came along and we can store them in our, in our emails and stuff. Uh, let's go to this guy. How about, got to be careful, it's a little heavier than my laptop. All right, how many of you uh, typewriter? Ah, the beloved typewriter, yes. Um, this had one, one, I mean, this was a one-trick pony. I mean, you could type things. It, it was not nearly as cool as a smartphone, which can do, like, everything that's on this table right now. Uh, how about this? A little, a little rotary. These are the fun ones. How's it work? There we go. Yeah, it kind of spins like this. I remember, I have fond memories of going to my grandparents' home in Wilbur, Washington, uh, Eastern Washington. Oh, a few people, the 509, we're repping. Uh, in, in, in Wilbur, uh, my grandparents had a rotary style phone. And if, uh, if I was ever there and they had to make a call, and my sister too, we would fight over who got to dial the number. We just thought like, phones had improved because they moved, you know? Like we had that boring wireless phone at home. Uh, and now no one has any phones, let's be honest. Uh, so, all these things at one point in time, it seems as if we're a part of all of our lives. That these had a purpose, these had their day and their age and their function and they provided value. And then things revolutionized. Another uh, piece of technology came along that rendered these obsolete. And what I'm here to say is this. Here's the big idea in all this. When Jesus came, he brought a brand new thing. He brought something that people had never seen, people had never experienced, people had never even imagined. And what it was called was the church. And it rendered something, it rendered religion obsolete. It, it, it rendered it unnecessary. It rendered it just a, a, a way of the past, just part of history, because this brand new thing was where it was at. And so we're going to be spending these next few weeks together, this week, next week, and the week after. And I really hope that you commit to coming to church these next few weeks, because it's going to have an effect. I think two different uh, things are going to be in play here for people. I think it's going to have an effect where some in here, it's going to feel just a little bit uncomfortable. 
Because your notion, your idea of what church is, of how it operates, of what it means, that definition of church, you'll actually realize it's, it's kind of outdated. It, it, it's actually no longer uh, 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 that, that, that definition of church that maybe you've been holding on to is actually not accurate. It needs to be updated. And for others in here, I think, I think you'll experience the opposite. I think you'll actually experience, man, I feel so encouraged having these discussions because I'm, I'm realizing, I'm hearing, I'm hearing you say that, that the same things that I've resisted about the church are things that the church should have been resisting all along. And you'll recognize that these things that have bothered you or frustrated you or, or saddened you are the same things that have bothered, frustrated, and saddened Jesus, who's the founder of this whole thing, all along. And so there's going to be three real things that, that we kind of tap into on this series, on this front, on this idea of be the church. And the first is this. We're going to learn what the church is. It's always good. If you're doing a series, it's always good to, to, to describe what the series title is. If we're saying be the church, we've got to know what that means. What is the church? Uh, the second thing we'll do, and we'll, we'll spend time on it this morning, is we're going to talk about what the church isn't. Uh, uh, sometimes we come to church to learn new things. Other times we come here, we gather, we listen so that we can actually unlearn things. And so we may have to unlearn uh, what we thought the church was. So we'll learn what the church is, we'll learn what the church isn't. And then the third aspect of the heart of this series is we'll learn what it means to simply be the church to be the church. You'll notice it's not go to church. It's not build a church. It's be the church. And so we're going to spend time on all those fronts. And, and I think it, it, uh, it serves us well to begin kind of with this statement, because I think we would, many of us would agree with this. Uh, there are many things in life, there are many things in life that we hold on to, and what happens is they actually hold us back. There's many things that we hold on to that then end up holding us back. And I think, I just wonder, I ponder this as I was praying and as I was, I was spending time and, and really marinating on, on what to, to, to deliver and to, uh, to communicate this morning. I wonder if we were to quiet ourselves and still our hearts and we were to, to hear Jesus, I, I wonder if he would say something like, like this, that I came to bring a brand new thing. And you're holding on to the old, the obsolete, the very thing I came to do away with. What I desire is that you be the church instead of living out an obsolete model of religion that I came to do away with. And, I, and, and that, I think, embodies the heart to this, to this series, to this morning's message. Because Jesus didn't come. Jesus didn't come to take, take things from the eight track to the cassette. He didn't come to take things from the cassette to the CD. He came to bring things from like an old vinyl record to Spotify, right? Just revolutionize the whole thing. And, 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 and I don't know if that's theologically sound. Um, little pun there. Puns are going obsolete. <laughs> They're kind of outdated too. Uh, I, but I think that's almost the best way to envision it in our minds. That it is a totally a brand new thing. And so that's why the message this morning's, uh, or that's the title of this morning's message is a brand new thing. But, but again, let's start with what the church isn't. The church isn't the temple model. So let's start with the temple model. The temple model was prevalent in Jesus's time. And in fact, in fact, still is prevalent. 
let's, let's not pretend that this is just done. Uh, the temple model still exists. It's still alive and well because wherever religion is, uh, the temple model ha- is thriving. And so, uh, and you can look, this has been throughout uh, uh, human, human history. When Jesus came, uh, Judaism, right? A strong temple model. You can look at the uh, Egyptians, the Babylonians. You can look at the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. Uh, you can look at even current aspects of where the, the temple model's in play. And there's three core attributes of the temple model. And again, these are, these are things that, that Jesus came to do away with, this, this idea of the temple model. But there's three core things. And so the first is this. If you want to jot these down on, on your notes, uh, fill in those blanks. The first is this. There's a sacred text in the temple model. There is a sacred text. There is a document. There is a scroll. There is something outlined, kind of the code of life, the do's and the don'ts. There is the, 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 the code, right, that's just spelled out for you right there. And that is sacred. And in fact, it is so sacred, you actually can't entrust everyone with it. So there's actually just a select few, few special people, a few uber awesome people that get this amazing gift of this interpretation of the sacred text. And these people are called the second, second characteristic of the temple model. They're the sacred teachers. And because they're sacred, you can't mess with the teachers. You can't correct them. You can't question them. You can't discipline them. What they say goes because they're the ones with the sacred interpretation of the sacred text. And your, your goal in this whole thing is to become some sincere follower, some dedicated follower. And, and ultimately, it drives you to a place of becoming really a superstitious follower because you start mixing that sacred text with these sacred teachers. But the trifecta is not complete until you can locate yourself in a particular place, and that place is the sacred temple. And, and the, the temple, this isn't just any place. This isn't just a place to connect with God. This is the place to connect with God. In the temple model, it's not complete until you are in this sacred space, whether it be a building on a hilltop or some some sacred river or, or some sacred site of a, of a prophet perhaps or something. But, but it's not, the trifecta is not complete until you are in the sacred temple, hearing from the sacred teachers about the sacred text and you're learning, you're trying to live out these sacred practices because if you don't, then you're banished, you're doomed, you're done, you go to hell or whatever this, whatever this religion entails, whatever the, the consequences are, that's what happens. And so that's the temple model. And Jesus did a brand new thing, thankfully. Thankfully, he brought a brand new thing. And what he established, what he brought here was the church. And here's what the church is. Here's a a working definition of the church. It really comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. And, And here's the heart of this word. It's an assembly or a gathering like this. We're in assembly here. We're in a gathering space right here of people whose faith is in Jesus. So that's a, that's a kind of a clarifying component of who these people are, why they're gathered. Literally meaning, this word literally meaning the called out ones. People who have been called out of the culture that they live in, not to then live just isolated all by themselves, us four, no more, you know? Like, like it wasn't this called out aspect of isolation. 
But it means this dual aspect of both called out to live into a new reality, into a kingdom reality. And then also meaning called out into the world, called out to go and live amongst your neighbors, called to go and to live out this kingdom, this new reality, this good news. That's what the church means. Um, how many of you ever learned this little thing? I had to go over it last night because I, I, I was trying to remember how it goes. I believe this is how it goes. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors. And here's all the people. Everybody. Everybody do this right now. Everybody. Oh, I got a clap right on. All that other stuff. Who cares? But that, that was awesome. All right. Everybody do this. I'm not, I'm not moving on until I see everybody. There we go. Lift them up high. Woo. Wow. We look Pentecostal. Tongues of fire overhead. Okay. That's crazy. Uh, guys, guys, guys. That little, that little thing we've learned is a little backwards. Because this is the church. This is a building. This is a pointy roof. You know, like the church is the people. And, and that's radical when you believe that. That's radical when you come to a realization that it's no longer a building. And here's why. Here's why. This gets, gets me excited. Because wherever the people are, that's where church is. It's not tethered to some special, unique place, some geographic place that you have to be at at a certain time of day and, and, and with regularity. Otherwise, done, doomed, gone, you know. It's not that at all. You can, you can do church wherever you want to gather. You can do, we do it. We, we role model this here at Overlake. We're doing church right now. So are the students in the student room. So are the kids in Kid Town. So are the kids in the gym. So, so are uh, uh, young adults tonight at 7 p.m. So are those that gather for CR on Tuesday nights in the chapel. So are the life groups that span the entire east side and gather in living rooms. So are those that decide to gather at Starbucks or Black Raven, come on somebody, or, or, or Juanita Beach Park, or again, your home. The aspect that this just blows it away, this idea that the church is the people. It's not a building. And if you don't believe me, what's crazy is we are all priests here. We, there's, there's nothing more sacred of those that are on stage or those that have a microphone that speak than there is about anyone else. We're all part of this royal priesthood that Jesus then kind of, again, this, is, this revolutionized everything, this brand new thing. And here's where we find out about that aspect that we're all part of this priesthood. First Peter 2, 5 says, you yourselves, you overlay Christian church are like living stones, are being built up, not as a brick and mortar building, but as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up, Peter loves this part, to offer up spiritual sacrifices, not animal sacrifices, acceptable to God through who? Through Jesus. It's, it's about Jesus. That's the, we'll, we'll get to Jesus in a bit. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. Second part. Not only are we part of the royal priesthood in this thing together, we are also temples. Check this out. Do you not know, Overlake Christian Church, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? We got to know that. We got to realize this. Again, if we've been holding on to things that have been holding us back, let's let go. If we've been holding on to the fact that this building is the only place where special things happen on some spiritual level, we got to let go. We got to then realize that wherever the people of God are, wherever the church is, that's 
That's where the church is. Whoa, that was, that was trippy. Uh, and so we had this question. We had this thought. A lot of us have been having this discussion. Um, what if we took church back to where this whole thing started? What if we took this church back to where it began? Because a, a little fun historical fact for you. The church didn't even have its own buildings for the first 300 years. When they wanted to meet, they went into these public spaces. They went into these like kind of town halls, like, like in Juanita. We have the North Kirkland Community Center. They would utilize that. Like they actually went to the places where, that were kind of public. And they would meet there and have their gatherings. They would meet in their homes. They would, they would, they would have meals together, pray together, worship together. They would share a lot of life together. And so we've been having this discussion, what if we took church back to where it belongs, back to where it started, back to where it originated? What if we took it back to the hood, back to the neighborhood? Uh, I'm actually, every time I look over here, I can't help but see Rich Butler, who last week, last weekend, uh, or it was, yeah, it was last weekend, he shared my purpose. I sense that the purpose that I have is to take church back to the neighborhood. And so we're thinking, what if we just send everyone out? Again, we're called out to not just come out of the culture, but to go out into the world. And, and, and it doesn't need to look drab or boring at all. It can look as simple as neighborhood block parties, summer gatherings, where we're inviting neighbors to come to meet one another. And so we actually printed up a gob of these. They're simply a generic uh, thing. It says, join us at our neighborhood summer block party. Yes, I can read. Um, on the back, date, time, place, bring. Uh, you can write a little message, let them know, hey, this is from your neighbor, Pat Swanson. Who, who lives in that one condo, who walks this dog, who drives this car, because you probably never met me. You know, like, that's just our culture now. But what if, what if we did this? What if we took church back to where it all started? What if we gathered and got to actually meet those that lived near us, and they got to meet others who lived near them? And what if this is where it starts, is simply, again, just reengaging with relationships? And so we're working on this. No joke, this is happening. Uh, the facilities team is working on this. We're making multiple sets of cornhole. That little game where you throw the, the bean bog, bean bog, bean, I don't know, that was weird, uh, bean bag. Uh, uh, we, we got these signs that are made that are generic that simply say welcome, neighborhood gathering that you can put in the ground and they kind of blow in the wind. And, you know, it just lets everyone know like, hey, you're welcome. If this is your home, come join us. Uh, we have sidewalk chalk, footballs, frisbees. I mean, we want to equip you. We're not just saying, go do this. We want to be uh, coming alongside you in this. And so please take us up on this offer. What if instead of viewing summer as a time where, oh, everyone leaves anyways, and it's just like, you know, vacation after vacation. Who cares? What if we leverage the summertime when everyone wants to be outside anyways to actually get to meet other people? And, and how cool would it be if your life group got behind this and you had others to kind of help plan and, and execute this thing? But please, again, take us up on this and then let us know your plans. We'd love to come. We'd, we'd love to, if there's any way we can help or take pictures or whatever, we'd love to share the stories uh, from here to let others know of what's happening. But again, it's that aspect that church isn't the building. It's the people. It's the people. And so just as the temple model has sacred things that you don't mess with, I need to let you know there are things that the church has that you don't mess with. We have things that you do not mess with. That, in fact, each and every one of these three things I'm about to walk through, I would be willing to die for. Perhaps crazier, I'm actually willing to dedicate my life to from now until the day I die. But these are three things that we hold on to, that we keep, that we don't mess with. And the first is this. We keep the gospel. We keep the gospel. Point number one, we keep the gospel. 
We keep the gospel. If you don't have a working definition of what gospel is, the, the word really means good news, but here's what that good news is. The good news is the gospel is the good news that God's love is for who? Like four people, four people know everyone. Everyone, the good news is for everyone. Doesn't matter how tall you are, doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter what language you speak, doesn't matter what nation you're from, good news is for everyone. And, and because it's that good, everyone needs to hear about it. Everyone needs to know about it. You see, Paul's very first letter that he wrote, that we have in our Bible, is Galatians. It was a letter. It was a letter. It didn't have numbers in it at all. Those got added later. But it was just simply a letter that he wrote to a church that was in this region called Galatia. And was kind of funny. I think it's funny. But I wasn't a part of this church, so they, they probably didn't think it was funny. Uh, it's not the warm, fuzzy letter that other churches got. Like the church in Philippi, they were lucky. They got one that started with the words. I think it's in like verse three. Paul actually says like, oh, I just thank my God every time I remember you guys. Galatia didn't get that one. Yeah, they, 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 they got a different tone from Paul. They got a different letter from Paul. And, and it's all because Paul caught wind of a different gospel getting communicated. And so let's read a few, few verses out of this. Here's what Paul says. I'll do my best to echo probably the, the, the tone that he's trying to write with. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Circle different gospel. Which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Didn't think the word pervert was in your Bible, did you? Paul dropped that one. He's just, bam. You don't think I'm serious, Galatia? Ta-cha. All right, I'll continue. But even if we, here's Paul. Here's what Paul's saying. Even if we, even though I know how highly you guys regard me and I'm an apostle of Christ and all this stuff, even if me or, check this out, or an angel from heaven, he's saying, I don't care if it's me. I don't care if it's actually an angel that comes down and shares something with you. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Bam, exclamation mark. Not even sure that's in the Greek, but we added it. Cha-cha. As we have already said, I love this. He's like, let me repeat. If you did not read that last line of the letter, I'm going to write the same one out. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what then what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. We keep the gospel. We don't change it. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. We keep it. We keep the, the pure gospel that's been given to us, not by man, not by man, but by Jesus. Best metaphor that I can use for this. The best thing as I was thinking about this that, that I came up with. The gospel is the DNA of the church. The gospel is what gives us traits and characteristics that then you can look at and say, yeah, that's the church. Here's what I mean. The DNA, the, the DNA of everyone has DNA in here. It, 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 it tells your body if you're, what color hair you have, what color eyes, how many fingers you have, how long they are. The traits and aspects you have are in your DNA. The gospel is the DNA of the church. Here's how this plays out. If you, let's look at nature for, for a moment here. Anybody ever heard of the big leaf hydrangea? Anybody? Yeah, I didn't either till last week, but it exists. It's a real thing, the big leaf hydrangea. If you take a seed from the big leaf hydrangea, actually, let's take three seeds from it, three seeds from the big leaf hydrangea. If you take one of those and you plant it in the soil of Indiana, it will produce pink flowers. 
I don't know why, I don't know how, but it produces pink flowers. You take that same seed, you go over to Brazil or Poland, don't know why, just those two places, you plant that same seed in the soil in Brazil or Poland, you have blue flowers. You take the same seed, you plant it in other places, you get purple flowers. I don't know who is traveling the world, like planting seeds and then actually like see it. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know who's doing this. It's a real thing. You know what it is yet to produce? Thorns. We're like, wow, <laughs> really, that's not that amazing at all. You know, it's yet to produce thorns. You know what the, and, and this is just it, the gospel, it, it has this trait, this characteristic of people that just love others outlandishly. And yet that love may express itself different. It may look different in Kingsgate than it'll look in Juanita. It may look different here in Seattle than it will in Poland or Brazil or Kenya. But I'll tell you this, one thing that the gospel does not produce are people who walk around with their noses up wagging their fingers at other people, letting them know what they need to do in addition to faith in Jesus. It's yet to produce, the true gospel is yet to produce people who post on Facebook how everyone else needs to change. It is yet to produce people walking around bullhorns just, just, just condemning people. It's yet to produce any of that. The true gospel has always produced a people who are the church, who, who love others outlandishly. And, and what happened in Galatia is exactly the opposite. Paul knew a different gospel was being communicated because he went there, he helped plant these churches, he made sure they heard the correct gospel, and then he jetted out of town to go plant other churches. Behind him came this crew of dudes, this crew of men. And they were Jewish, but believers. They were called the Judaizers. And what they told people was, yeah, faith in Jesus, that's an important component. But you actually need to become a Jew first. And, and I mean, Jesus was a Jew, so you got to become a Jew too. So, so and, and this is crazy. This is crazy. They, they're telling men, I mean, for gentlemen in the room, this would require a little surgery, you know, like, no thanks. Like, I, I like the pure gospel Paul was communicating far better. And Paul's saying... If people are adding hoops to jump through, if they're actually adding next steps, if they're taking away from the gospel or adding to it, that is not the gospel. We need to keep the gospel. And that's why they got this, this, this pretty direct message from Paul saying that that gospel that you're hearing, that whole like surgery thing is, is done. It's over with. That is, that is a perverted gospel altogether. Here's the danger. It's so tempting to change the gospel. I love this quote by Richard Halverson. He says, when Greeks got the gospel, they turned it into a philosophy. When the Romans got it, they turned it into a government. And when the Europeans got it, they turned it into a culture. And when Americans got it, they turned it into a business. We need to keep the gospel. We can't change it. We can't add to it. And you know why? Paul knows why. He lets them know. Galatians 1.11 I want you to know, brothers and sisters at Overlay Christian Church in Redmond, Washington, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it in seminary or some other school or from other book I read. Rather, I received it by the revelation from who? Jesus. We don't mess with the gospel because if you mess with the gospel, you're messing with Jesus. And that's point number two. We cling to Jesus. That's something else that we'd be willing to lay our lives down for and more so give our lives to. 
We cling to Jesus. We hold tightly to him. We don't let him go. Earlier I said, many times we hold on to things that then hold us back. There's other things that unless you hold on to, you're not moving forward. And the church isn't moving forward unless it's clinging to Jesus. And so we cling to Jesus. And this is the one point. Everybody listen. Everybody in right here. And if you're listening online, get this. That's the biggest question you'll ever have to answer is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And so everyone on the church staff here, everyone that serves in ministry here, we all are trying to create environments where asking that question is safe. It's encouraged. We want people to wrestle with who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Investigate it. Wrestle with it. Ask the tough questions. But our desire is that people would be asking that question and arriving to an answer on it. And really, you got about two options is the way I see it. Jesus was either history's greatest con artist, pulled the wool over billions of people's eyes for the last 2,000 years, somehow, I don't know how, he's done it, or he is who he claimed to be. He did what he claimed to have done. The cross accomplished what he said it accomplished, and he will come and do what he claims he will come and do. And so that is the biggest question that you and everyone else will need to answer. Who is Jesus? And once you arrive at this place of believing and trusting in his life and who he is and what he's done, then the next step is something called baptism. And again, this isn't a hoop that we jump through. This isn't something we've added to the gospel. This is something even Jesus role modeled for us. It's simply an outward expression of a commitment you're making at a heart level. It's a declaration. It's professing to others this, this decision that you've arrived to. And so in two weeks, if you have arrived to this place and yet to have been dunked under the water, then this is your chance in two weeks. And we would love to, to, to sync up with you these next couple of weeks to make sure that, that you're, you're able to come and, and invite your family, invite your friends. Let them know about the biggest decision you've ever made. And, and so I'll stop there. I, just, I, I know that there's many from last week, several hundred that came forward that, 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 that are in that camp. And so that, that you may be in the room today. And that's, again, the next step. And I want to reiterate, this isn't something we're adding to the gospel. In fact, we add nothing to the gospel. We'd add nothing to what Jesus has done for us. And why? Because it's a gift. And Paul addresses that in Galatians 2.16. And you can kind of see he's kind of pitting two things against each other in this, in this passage. You have faith and you have works. And he's saying which one is going to lead to you being justified. And we'll, we'll, I'll unpack that word in a minute. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one. He's saying the one thing that will lead to your justification, and if you want a great way to remember what justified means, it means this. It's just as if I'd never sinned. You just slam those words together. And it kind of sounds like you just packed it in there. Just as if I'd never sinned. It's that good. The forgiveness of sins is that good. But it happens through faith in Jesus. Not through some sacred text of some sacred teachers of some sacred temple of living out some sacred uh, uh, strict con uh, code of life. But by faith in Jesus Christ, that is how you're justified. That is how you're forgiven. 
And, and Paul goes so far as to say this a little bit verses later. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. He's saying, I don't set this gift that I've been given aside at all. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, if I could have gained this, this forgiveness of sins, if I could have gained justification, if I could have gained a, a vibrant and, and healthy and loving relationship with God, then Christ died for nothing. So we can't add to what Jesus has done for us because then we would be taking the posture of saying, Jesus, what you did was great, but really you died for nothing. And how wrong of that would it be of us? That's why grace is important. That's why this gospel, this good news that God's love is for everyone is important and it can't be added to. There can't be this extra layer of hoops to jump through. And Lord, forgive us if we've created that. Lord, forgive us if we've told people, in addition to faith in Jesus Christ, you have to do X, Y, and Z. You got to change this, change that, change this. Let's focus on this. Let's focus on the gospel. Let's keep it. And let's tell others to cling to Jesus and let him take it from there. And let him take it from there. If we cling to Jesus, then we also cling to his life, his death, his resurrection, and his teachings, the things that he communicated. And one of the core teachings he had, and this is our final point together, is this that you love others, that you love others. And by this, I mean every other person that's out there, every single person. Every single person has been created in the image of God. There are traits and aspects into the, the humanity of a person that is from God. And, and, and who are we to then judge or condemn that based on how hard maybe that person's worked to undo that image? They're still to be loved. No matter how much they've lied or cheated or stolen or raped or beaten or killed, they still are to be loved. And I'm not saying this is easy. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying a, a little 30-minute message on this just fixes everything. This is crazy stuff. Paul addresses it big time in this, in this verse right here, Galatians 5, 6. He is so desperate in making sure the church in Galatia gets it that he actually goes so far as to say, the only thing, circle that word, only thing, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Oh, that revolutionizes a lot. That changes a bunch. When you go so far as to say it hones in on one thing, faith expressing itself through love, that's revolutionary. And what Jesus did in fulfilling 630-something laws and prophecies, what he did, he distilled it down from 630-something, not down to the top 100 things to do, not down to the top 10, not down to the top three. He distilled it really down to one verb with three applications. He said love. Love. Three applications. Love God. Love your neighbor and love your enemy. So we are called to love others. What I want to just kind of end with here, kind of land the plane here before we take this up next week, is it's not going to be easy to just put away with the old and then just move into the new. There's a, there's a big shift that, that, that happens in hearts and minds as, as, as you really begin to re recognize that maybe there is a letting go that needs to take place. Maybe there are things that we've been holding on to that have been holding us back. 
Or maybe you're recognizing there are now things that I need to cling to that I haven't that are going to be required so that I can move forward. Because again, we're not about a building. We're about the people. So let's be the church. Let's be on this journey together. And please come next week because it's going to be a huge message on love, which sounds like, oh, I've heard a message. I know, I know what love is. Love sounds simple. It ain't easy. So next week is about really the cost of love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, for your son. Thank you so much for the gospel, for, for making it, for distilling it down to something that we can actually remember. But would you please help us to live that out? Would it move from just uh, head knowledge, something that we hear, something that we fill in the blank on some, some message outline? Would it move from just that to, to a heart level? Uh, a place where, where, where it becomes our, our motivation, our desire, our, our, our yearning of how to live out. And then take us all the way to practice. Take us to a place of changing our lives, to reorient our lives around this reality of what it looks like to be the church, of what it looks like to, to take church back to the neighborhoods, of what it looks like uh, to love one another and to love others, to love even our enemies. Help us with that, Lord. We love you and we praise you. And it is such a joy and such a gift to be together. So thank you for this moment, for this setting. In your name, amen.